This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled, Let's Make a Deal, and it comes from 2 Samuel 3, 1 through 39. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talk, Inc. could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song is ever played, there's utility bills and tire rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with a tax-deductible gift. So won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601 601- 483 and there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone or mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Now, your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense of providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13.16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, if you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class with no spaces between radiobibleclass.podbean.com. Or you can catch us wherever you listen to your podcast. If you're on TuneIn, if you're on Amazon, if you're on Google, if you're on iTunes, wherever you listen, we're there. Just search for WMER Radio Bible Class with no space between Radio Bible Class. Today we pick back up in 2 Samuel. If you remember, King Saul has died. That happened at the end of 1 Samuel. And then David finds out about it because an Amalekite comes to him and tells him. He reacts strongly. He even writes a song that he has the nation of Israel learn. And then we saw last week how this battle started out, how there were two kings. The nation of Judah has come and made David king over the tribe of Judah. The northern tribes, everybody that's north of Judah, has made Ishbosheth the king that's over the northern Israel. So the kingdom is divided north and south. The other thing you need to remember is that during this time, your king was everything. He was who provided protection. He was over the armies that protected his territory. And Abner, who we're going to hear a lot about today, is Ishbosheth's number two man. He is second to the king. Actually, he put Ishbosheth in that role so that he could have him as a puppet. But we'll see that he starts to lose power. And so he makes a big move. Again, that's where we come up with Let's Make a Deal. Now, I grew up watching a show called Let's Make a Deal, and the whole show was on the premises there would be a deal that was made. But even in politics, even in business, it's all about making a deal. Trump wrote a book that's called The Art of the Deal. And that's kind of what's happening here. We're going to see a lot of politics come into play. We're going to see about a covenant that they're going to ask to make with one another so that they can bring Israel back from this divided north and south. This particular chapter is almost like a storyline from a movie. You have sex in it, you have politics in it, you have all kinds of killing that goes on in it. Everything that you can think of that's in a movie is right here. Who says the Bible is boring? Well, with all that said, let's jump right in because i got a lot to cover, and I'm not going to read every single verse. 
I'm going to paraphrase a lot of it because 40 verses would take half the time for me, anyhow, to read. Let's jump right in. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 3, and I will read verse 1 to start with. So here's verse 1, reading out of the ESV. There was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. And David grew stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul became weaker and weaker. Now that house of Saul would be King Ishbosheth. For all my note takers out there, here's my first point. God's plan takes time. And we see right here that David is about to become king. We're going to see that, spoiler alert, in the next chapter. He's going to be king of all of the nation of Israel. He's already king of Judah. But remember, it's been over 15 years since he was anointed to be king. For almost 12 of those years, he had to run from King Saul for his life. Just because God promised him that he was going to be king, it didn't happen right away. And there's too many of us walking around that call ourselves Christian that want a fast food result from God. God, I need it, and I need it right now. Well, first of all, there's nothing wrong from asking stuff from God, but God only operates on his own timetable. And we see right here in verse 1, it says that this battle went on for a long time. And during this battle, there was more winds that went on, and David's house grew stronger, and King Saul's house grew weaker. I want to read you something from Galatians 6, 9. I'm going to read out the New Living Translation because I like the way it's worded. It says, let's not get tired of doing what is good. And at just the right time, I want you to catch that, at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. And this is exactly what David had to go through. And this is exactly what somebody needs to hear today. Don't get tired of doing what is good, because at just the right time, you will reap a harvest of blessing. I know you've heard me tell you this before, but if you are in a situation where you're having to only trust God because there's nothing else, don't panic. There's two things I want you to always remember. One is God is never in a hurry. And two, God is never late. God's timing is always perfect. Well, somebody might be asking, what happens in those times, Tim, when it appears that God is late? What I would tell you is God is getting you ready for a miracle. I mean, I think about the story of Lazarus. Mary and Martha had a brother named Lazarus, and he was one of Jesus's best friends. Word gets to him that Lazarus is sick, but Jesus doesn't go. He waits. Lazarus dies, and he's buried. And then Jesus goes. Jesus could have been there in a matter of a half a day or so. He's only a few miles away. But he waits four days. And what did Mary and Martha think? They thought Jesus was late. But Jesus wasn't late because Jesus already knew that what was going to happen. His goal was not to heal Lazarus. His goal was to raise him from the dead so that he could show a miracle and it would strengthen God's kingdom and move it forward. So if you're listening to me today and you're saying, well, God is late, sometime God lets a situation get so bad that only a miracle will do. Don't give up on your faith. Hold on. Keep praying and keep serving and keep going to the small group. Keep sowing what God has told you to sow. Keep believing because you're getting ready for a miracle. God already knows what needs to be done. He's not up in heaven walking around going, how did I get in this situation? What am I going to do? No, God knows when and where, whether it's next month, next year, or next decade. His plan is good, and he has a plan for you. And his time is always right, so stay and trust in him. 
Back to our passage of Scripture, Saul's house grew weaker and David's house grew stronger. And what happens? Abner begins to panic. Abner has been the power guy behind it all. Ishbosheth was just a puppet. But as Saul's house gets weaker and weaker, Abner sees he's about to lose his power and he's got to go do something. I'm going to jump down to verse 6. That's where I want us to go next. While there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, Abner making himself strong in the house of Saul. Now Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of Ai. And Ishbosheth said to Abner, Why have you gone into my father's concubine? And then Abner was very angry over the words that Ishbosheth said to him. Am I a dog at the head of Judah? To this day I keep showing steadfast love to the house of Saul, your father, to his brothers, to his friends, and have not given in to the hand of David. And yet you charge me today with a fault concerning a woman. God do to Abner, and more also, if I do not accomplish for David what the Lord has sworn to him, to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David over Israel and Judah from Dan to Beersheba. And Ishbosheth could not answer Abner another word because he was frightful. Right here we see Abner, and it says how strong he is. And then he does something that is a sign of strength. He takes a concubine and he has relationships with her. And it was one of the king's concubines. That is a slap in his face. And he's saying roughly, you don't matter. You're a puppet. And so what happens? Ishbosheth calls him out on it. And he says, are you kidding me? This is the perfect response for a narcissism. Abner has narcissism. It's all about him. It's all about me. I want to be about me. We talked about that last week. Anyhow, look how he responds. He's like, what? You come to me? Am I a dog? You ask about something that I did? You accuse me of something that you did not see? You did not catch me doing? You don't even know if I really did it. You just heard it. It's hearsay. Therefore, because you did that, I'm going to just turn my allegiance to David. He's saying, I'm the one that got you where you're at, and I'm about to give you up, and I'm going to go to David, I'm going to work my deal, and guess what? You're no longer going to be king. I'm going to pull the north and the south back together again. I'm going to unify the nation of Israel. So again, for my note takers, here's my second point. Quit living for yourself. We see the confrontation right here. Ishbosheth goes to him and says, what are you doing? Are you trying to make me look bad? Why have you done this? Explain to me what's going on. You're my number two man. You, you get to rule over the whole army. And then we see the angry response that Abner gives back to him. We're starting to see Abner make some really big moves now. The first one is he sleeps with a concubine. That is just culturally the wrong thing to do unless you're going to overthrow the king. And then Ishbosheth, being the king, has no choice. He has to confront him about it. And what can we learn from this? That's one thing to tell you the story. It's another thing to look at how we apply this to our life. Even though this is interesting, we're going to go through a lot of this. How do I apply this? What does this apply to me? Well, first of all, are you trying to do everything in your own strength? As I told you, Abner is all about me, me, me. Abner's trying. He's like, well, I, I set you up as king. I can do whatever I want. If you're going to hold me to something, then I am going to turn on you and I'm going to give my power to somebody else. How do I know that he's operating in his strength? Well, look at verse 8 right there. Abner is very angry over the thing that he's been confronted about. And then he says, I've been showing you steadfast love. And yet now I'm going to do what God had told David that he was going to give to him. 
And because of what you've charged me, God, do something to me if I don't do what I'm about to tell you. I'm going to make David Lord over the nation of Israel, just like God promised him. Look right there in verse 9. It says, God do to Abner and more also if I do not accomplish for David what the Lord has sworn to him. This shows us that Abner knew all along that David was supposed to be king. Abner knew all along, even though he made Ishbosheth king over the northern tribes because he wanted his power. He had the power with King Saul, and now he wants to keep that power, so he takes this son that we know nothing about and makes him king. This is a heart check time. Are you an Abner? Do you try to do everything with the guys that God told you to do something, yet you're doing it in your own strength? Are you seeking God's way? Are you seeking his wisdom? Are you seeking his confirmation? Or do you do like I do sometimes? Look, I'm guilty of this. I've told you before. There are times that I say God only tells me what's going on next because if he told me too much more than that, I try to do it in my own strength. And too many times we get a piece or a glimpse of what God wants to do for us and we run out and do it in our own strength. We're guilty of that. Now, Abner is doing it all in his strength. He knew what God wanted. He did just the opposite because that's not what he wanted. See, Joab is... David's number two man, and he would lose all his power. So here we see that Abner gets mad, and he says, I'm going to David. So let's look at what happened. And for my note takers, we're going to see multiple power plays that happen now. So Abner 1 sends a group of men down to David. So now look at verse 12 with me. And Abner sent messengers to David on his behalf, saying, To whom does the land belong? Make your covenant with me. Let's make a deal. And behold, my hand shall be with you to bring all of Israel back to you. And he says, good, I will make a covenant with you. But one thing I require of you, that is, you shall not see my face unless you first bring Michal, Saul's daughter, who I was once married to. Remember that? When you come to see my face. Then David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, give me my wife Michal for whom I paid the bride price of a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. And Ishbosheth sent and took her from her husband, Palatel. But her husband went with him, weeping all the way down. And Abner said to him, Go, return. And he returned. So here it is. Here's the art of the deal. Here's the deal-making going on. Here's the bargaining piece that goes on. Abner knows what David wants. David wants to be king of the whole nation of Israel like God has promised him. And so he says, I can make that happen. I can get you the northern tribes. Let's make a deal. David, being the shrewd man that he is, he says, well, sure, but I want my wife that was taken from me from by the hand of Saul back. I married her legally. I loved her. We saw that in 1 Samuel. He said, I want her back. There's a second reason why he wants her back. If he's married back to Saul's daughter, that now puts a political tie back to the northern tribes. So we see the jockeying going on. Well, how does this apply to us? Once again, are you self-seeking like Abner? That's what we see right here. Abner is self-seeking. He goes and sleep with Rizpah for a power move. We see that he knew the truth that David was supposed to be king, not Ishbosheth. And if you didn't know the whole backstory, just reading this one chapter, you may think that Abner was having a change of heart, but he's not. It's all about him. Make a covenant with me is what it says. I will bring Israel to you. Abner doesn't make kings. God does. And the second thing is, you need to make sure you're walking in God's plan. Abner's not been doing that. 
Are you doing that? Has God wanted you to do something and you've done just the opposite? Proverbs 3.27 says, Do not withhold good from those who it is due when it is in the power of your hand to do so. Abner had the power of his hand. He had the power to make David king, and he didn't. He made Ishbosheth king. What are you doing that goes directly against what God wants? I would say there are a lot of people that try to do things in their own strength. They're operating for power or for money, greed, for sex, whatever. They're, they're operating in the wrong way. They return back to their old habits. As a matter of fact, Peter talked about this when he wrote to return to Jesus Christ. Because without self-control, we can slip back into the bad habits in our old ways. Did you know that 44% of Americans say on a Pew report that they don't have time to get organized? They're just going to operate out of what happens next. You know what they're saying? I don't want to be in a system where I have to be accountable. I just want to do what I want to do. And without self-control, circumstances can dominate our schedule, our priorities, and we can become fused. And the way that we react is not the way we should, and we become distracted from the ways of God, and we start acting out of our flesh again. And so seek to be filled by the Spirit and led by the Spirit, and walk according to God's way. Walk in self-control. Remember that God has a plan for you. Now let's look at my fourth point, don't twist the truth. And I don't have time to read all this, so I'm going to paraphrase it real quick. But Abner sends 20 men down to David, and, they, and David makes this feast for Abner and, and the men that are with him. And so even though Abner has been his enemy, David treats him kindly. We see the heart of David there. And then he sends Abner on his way with peace. Well, guess what happens? All of a sudden, in walks Joab. This is David's number two man. And he hears about this went on. He heard about how Abner was here. And he goes, how did you meet with him and not kill him? Not only did you not kill him, but you let him go in peace. And Joab gets right in his face and says, what have you done? Abner came here. He was given to you in his hand and you didn't take it. And a matter of fact, David, wake up. Don't you know that Abner came down here to deceive you? He knows what you were going to do. He's studied on your ways that you come and you go and all the stuff that you do, your schedule, so that he can come overthrow us. He knows now all the things that you do and you've made us weaker and him stronger. Abner goes to these elders and he twists the truth. He gets them so that he tells them, hey, look, you know all along that David was supposed to be king. Come on and go down with me. Let's agree to make him king. Ishbosheth is done. He's not doing it for David's benefit. He's doing it for his own. He's not esteeming David. He's not making David better. He's esteeming himself. Philippians 2.3 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. How many times have you been nice to someone for what they could do for you? Not because it was the right thing to do, like Jesus tells us to do, Jesus even said, don't even sinners do that? Sinners take care of the people that can do something for them. He's saying be nice to everyone, whether they can benefit you or not. How many times have you done something because you expected something in return and then you got mad because you didn't get it? I hate to say it, but there are Christians that use godliness as a mean of gain. Are you giving your time and attention to others? Are you helping others? Are you loving others? Are you serving others like Jesus did? Jesus did it not for his own gain. Jesus did it to show the love of the Father. And then you have those Christians that go to church every Sunday. 
yet they pick and choose through the Bible scriptures that make things the way they want it. See, the scriptures are to be taken as a whole, not pick and choose like a buffet line. When you start picking and choosing and using the Bible that way, first of all, it's wrong. We're supposed to use the whole Bible. But it brings confusion to the world. They don't understand because it can contradict itself when you do that. When you use the Bible to justify what you're doing. So let's don't twist the truth. You know who else twists the truth in this story? Believe it or not, it's Joab. Joab comes and he says to David, what have you done? Look, Abner came to you. Why is it that you sent him away and he's already gone? Joab's second in command, yet he's threatened by Abner. So he must destroy Abner. And so what does he do? He questioned David's authority. Joab also has an ulterior motive. Remember, Abner killed his brother. Remember when we talked about the big chase, how Abner killed Ashiel? Well, this is Joab's brother. And Joab wants revenge. So he twists it because he has an alternative. He thinks that Abner needs to die because he killed his brother. And so what does he do? He sends out a messenger and gets Abner to come back to meet him at the gate. And when he comes, he kills him. He kills him right there in the gate. He uses a local tradition because all the business was done at the gate. And if you were going to do anything like this, it was okay if it was done in public. It wasn't kept secret. And so he kills him right there in the gate. He sticks him in the stomach just like he killed his brother. He mixes local tradition to justify the murder and going against God's word. And much like a lot of Christians today, we take what the law says and we say, well, local law says that it's okay that I smoke marijuana now. It's not against the law anymore. Guess what? God's word's against it. It says don't damage your body. Your body is the temple of God. We say it's okay for pornography or it's okay to have an affair because we, it's okay to be gay. It's okay because the law of the land says it's okay. But God's word doesn't say it's okay. Quit twisting the word and live holy and chase after God. Let me ask, what unscriptural godliness thing is in your life today that you're doing and you're allowing it because you're twisting the truth? If there is, stop right now and ask God to forgive you and give it back to him. Confess that sin. I can see I'm already out of time, so let me get to my fifth point real quick, and that is that God is greater than politics. We've seen that God's plan takes time. We need to quit living for ourselves. There was multiple power plays going on. There is in our lives today, and then we don't need to twist the truth. We don't need to justify our sin. We don't need to pick and choose the Bible, but God is greater than any politics that happens. So what happened? Yes, Joab kills Abner. David knew nothing about this. But later on, David hears what happened. And he says, before God and my kingdom, we are totally innocent of this murder of Abner. Joab and his entire family will be under the curse of this blood guilt. In other words, the blood is on his hand. David even curses them saying, may that God pay them back for what he's done. And then look at what David does. He tells Joab and all the men under him, all the men that report to him, rip your cloaks, your rags. We're in mourning. Abner's funeral possession, they weeped after it, and David followed after it. Now, this is a huge sign when a king would follow after someone that died. This is a true sign of his weeping. And because of that, see, everyone took notice what happened at the funeral. And when they saw that, they applauded the king. It was clear to them that day that the king had nothing to do with the death of Abner. 
And then in verse 38, it says, And the king said to his servant, Do you not know that a prince and a great man has fallen this day in Israel? And I was gentle today, though anointed king. These men, the son of Zeru, are more severe than I. The Lord repaid the evildoer according to his wickedness. David understood that he was guiltless before the Lord, but he wanted his kingdom to be guiltless before the people. See, he knew that because of what had happened here, it would look like his administration had a reputation of being brutal, and it made it harder for David to win the nation of Israel. David didn't want his king to be established by violence. He wanted God to establish his kingdom and to punish his enemies. David still believed that the vengeance belonged to the Lord. We need to understand that too. We don't need to be Joab. We need to get politics and what we want out of the way. Let God handle that. I get it. It's not easy for us to practice or accept that it is God who should do the vengeance, not us. We want our retaliation. Jesus taught that we should turn the other cheek when we walk in self-control. We can allow God's vengeance. The Bible teaches us that God is a God of justice. And who are we to take justice in our own hand when we can turn it over to God and let God handle it? Romans 12, 17 says, Repay no one evil for evil. Paul is teaching that Christ is the extreme example here and that he didn't return evil with evil. He didn't avenge those that came after him. Jesus didn't try to retaliate. He didn't threaten to get even with those that attacked him. Instead, he committed his cause to the Father and he allowed him to do what was right. I'm out of time, so let me close with this final thought. You might ask, why should God be the one that administers justice? Well, perhaps part of the reason is because only God knows the whole truth. Only he knows who did right and who did wrong. And only he knows the motive and the reason for the action. See, we see things only from our viewpoint, but God sees the whole picture. So today, let God be the one who administers justice. So for you to let God be the one that administers the justice requires great faith and trust in your part. We have to believe that God is just and that he's always going to do what's right. So as we look at the different characters in our story, are you a David? Are you an Abner or a Joab? Do you quote scripture and have no intention of following it, but you use it to justify it? Are you more like David, a man after God's own heart? Do you submit daily to the king or do you walk in your flesh? Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord, we thank you for this lesson and it's a good lesson. There's a lot of stuff that goes on here. We see all kinds of acts. This could be made into a movie. Lord, we thank you that we can take your word that you inspired someone to write down and we can use it to apply to our life. We can use it like sunscreen. We can apply it to our life so that we don't get burned. We can learn from those that made a mistake and we can walk closer and better with you. We can grow our relationship with you through studying your word and applying it to our life. Today, maybe there's one that is acting in their flesh. They retaliate. They act out. This may be a weakness that they've not been able to overcome to the flesh. They're not willing to die daily. Lord, I pray today that you would help them. Lord, that they would understand that and lay it at your feet. Lord, that they would ask you for your help. Your word tells us in Romans 6, 7 that when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. So we can overcome the sin when we walk in you, when we allow the Holy Spirit to help us and give us the power we need. 
Lord, I pray today that they'll understand that and whatever it is, whatever that is keeping them from having a closer walk with you, that they will hand it over to you. Lord, maybe there's one that doesn't know you today. Lord, I pray today would be the day. Lord, your word tells us that first we have to admit that we're a sinner. We have to understand that we are lost, that we need a Savior. Lord, I pray today that someone will come to that knowledge today. Lord, that you're knocking on a heart and they will understand that they need you, that they can't do it in themselves. They can't work harder because we saw that through the whole Bible that just working our way to salvation never works. Lord, I pray today that they'll wake up and understand that they need you. They'll admit they're a sinner. They'll believe on your finished work on the cross. But not only that, they'll confess with their mouth and make you Lord of their life. And they'll chase after you and they'll chase after your commandments. Lord, we thank you for all the blessings you give us. It's in your name we pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.